Hi, this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to this Disney at Work and Play podcast. In previous episodes, we spoke of my lifelong love of Disney and how it eventually led me to an opportunity to work with the Walt Disney Company, first as a consultant and then as a leader with Disney University Professional Development Programs, a group that later became part of and then took over the Disney Institute. In a previous podcast, I spoke of that merger and how I was also responsible for bringing new training and development solutions to what was an antiquated classroom-style program. In this episode, we see the effects of that experience as we truly had the privilege of bringing Disney magic into organizations far and wide. These stories show how powerful ideas Walt Disney originated in customer service, creativity, innovation, employee engagement, and leadership could be applied in so many settings. We also see the challenges behind doing so, and ultimately how I eventually would leave Disney for an opportunity to bring these concepts and ideas to others in a way I could never do at Disney through my organization, Performance Journeys. Join us for this podcast on bringing Disney business magic to others. This podcast, as well as others, are brought to you by Performance Journeys, which celebrates its 20th year as a training and development group bringing best-in-business ideas through best-in-training solutions to organizations in the public, private, and nonprofit sectors. At Performance Journeys, it's as much about the journey as it is about the performance. Make sure, if you haven't had the opportunity to do so, to subscribe to this podcast and also check out disneyatplay.com where we will have um, some images and links and important notes as uh, pertaining to this podcast. There you can also subscribe. When you have a chance to visit your uh, podcast hosting group, please offer a positive rating or review if you have a chance. It really helps the littlest uh, podcast that ever could um, to get a little bit a little bit more uh, uh, notice out there so that others can have a chance to uh, to hear and uh, listen to what we have to share. Well, in the previous podcast, I had talked about how I came on board to the organization, how I needed to move away from slide carousels and how I was trying to get them to go into laptops, but they went, um, they, they were resistant in doing so. Talked about the merger with Disney Institute, which was originally all about gardening and cooking and, and how to climb a rock type classes and how that kind of merged together. In the process of all of this, I had a great opportunity to really see every corner of the Walt Disney World Company. I mentioned the Tower of Terror and filming at midnight, but let me tell you, it went far beyond that. If you didn't know how many laundries there are actually on Disney property. And believe it or not, some of the best in business ideas came from the laundry where people were learning how to make continuous improvement um, uh, solutions in the daily work that they were doing. I remember visiting Discovery Island in its last days before it closed up after uh, Disney um, Disney's Animal Kingdom opened. 
Also remember Disney's Animal Kingdom, as we were trying to do programs there, but because it was a brand new park at the time, they were really re- reticent. I ended up doing a um, an event on the last night um, of a program there. That took a lot of energy and effort to do so. Um, Living Seas, I talked about how amazing that was. The American Adventure. If you have an opportunity to do a backstage tour, they usually take you to American Adventure. That is a wow experience to see how they pull together that show. Um, It's a very small space, so it wasn't very conducive to bringing our larger groups through. Um, I remember going to the power plant and they had this game that we played in terms of how power is brought to, it was so, so different and unique, but, but I remember that we did a lot of work with the folks at Disney's Polynesian um, Resort Hotel. They were amazing, Antikawi um, and others, uh, Keith Smith and Mary. And, um, I remember going over to Pleasure Island thinking, okay, what could we do over at Pleasure Island and sitting in the Adventurers Club at about 4.30 in the afternoon and thinking, this has got to be the worst place to take people during the day because it's just reeks of beer and it was very unimpressive. I remember walking Test Track, um, walking the track of Test Track um, and wanting to bring groups to do that, only there was a problem. Test Track was not only brand new, it hadn't even opened yet. There were problems. As I recall, it was two vehicles that had crashed into each other. They kind of work like slot cars. So, um, And each of those vehicles has to know what the other one is doing. Uh, and computer-wise, they have to know what all the different cars are doing so they can all make adjustments and changes and they were hoping to be out of the out of the gate at one point they ended up having to delay i think a little bit over a year before um before that um before that finally opened um one of my favorites was uh wilderness lodge um, a lot of people don't know that the way it's slanted kind of on a hill as you approach it from the parking lot, the basement, which is really just the first floor of the facility, is a long hallway that provides all of the necessary uh, support to what goes on stage. It's such because the, the onstage portion of, of Wilderness Lodge is so beautifully themed. It is to see this utilitarian white-walled kind of facility downstairs is such a is such a contrast um to that um then we have uh, typhoon lagoon and blizzard beach actually when i was working for Watermania, i had the tour um of blizzard beach because my boss used to had opened up typhoon lagoon he was in i want to say it was eric uh, Jacobson, maybe, that um, gave us the tour, but we were walking bl- Blizzard Beach before it had snow on it. It was literally more a, m- a mountain of dirt than it was an actual um, snow <laughs> uh, s- snow beach. Um, and so that was, I just have small memories of how unique that was. But probably more than any, we spent a lot of time with Typhoon Lagoon. We use that as a benchmark. I love that water park. 
There are so many best in business practices you can glean from concepts around lifeguarding and so forth. Um, and I loved back then when they had the uh, upside down ship and you could go swimming with the sharks. I mean, there was just so many things that we would do with guests before park opening that was just really awesome about Typhoon Lagoon. So at any rate, long and short, we just were all over the place. I was always looking for another place to take guests to learn best in business practice. Spent time at the campground and that was that was there are these guys whose job is to kind of make sure the camp each of the campsites are in order and the trash has been cleared away and so forth it's surprising how these guys would have a relationship with the campers that went on for years i mean deep relationships um and just there was just no corner of the park disney university obviously we took tours through there um california grill there are a lot of places well california grill we were the first to actually do any kind of lunchtime experience um in that setting and um and george uh miliotis who helped um was the founder of that later went on to uh, seasons 52 and founded that and then went on to wine bar by george and created that out of whole cloth anyway he was part of the team that created uh um the um california grill and that was uh amazing experience and george was a great speaker we often had some really terrific um ex speakers um and people who would talk to us one of them was uh, Judson Green, who at that time was over all of all Disney um, attractions worldwide. Um, Judson played a leading role in, in the early days of trying to get Hong Kong Disneyland up and um, purchased and get the land and the agreements made so that they could build that. Uh, Judson Green had a love of jazz and he had his own little jazz band. And on one occasion, we had the Tribune Company, which owned all the Chicago Tribune and other uh, newspapers underneath its umbrella at the time. We had um, two guest speakers. One of them was Justin Green, and he not only presented to the group, but he had his jazz band play at the little uh, performance arena there at the Disney Institute. That was cool. And then he made all these great analogies between jazz and leadership. It was just phenomenal. But the one that really stood out for me was a guy named Paul Comstock. Now, this was uh, 96. So we're two years away from Disney's Animal Kingdom opening. And I, I, well, I remember long before construction began, it was like cow pasture. And I think the first thing they did was create the parking lot so that construction, so construction workers could park somewhere and then going and work, but there was none of the jungle vegetation you see back then. That all brought was brought in by Paul Comstock. His, um, he had this ability to, to work um, landscaping in ways that was just, well, I mean, Disney's Animal Kingdom, he is the architect of all of the landscaping that occurred in that area he told the story of how he took a tent 
and he pitched that tent. And I think where he pitched it, if I'm correct, I think the place he pitched it was, you remember as the safaris emerge and come out and you come by that dumb baobab tree that's upside down, or, well, not upside down, it's just a baobab tree, it's cement. But you come and you turn the corner and then you see the savanna before you. Well, he pitched a tent and and uh, got some lawn chairs and whatnot, and he would sit there and he would stare at the savanna during the day. He wanted to see how the sun would hit different types of grasses at different types of day to create the kind of layering effect. Think multiplane camera. Well, he's thinking how to create a multiplane kind of experience with different grasses evolved. He drove the construction people crazy. Um, and I think he smoked half the things. I, I shouldn't say this, but I think he smoked half the things he collected. But he was brilliant. He was um, he was just a brilliant individual who knew so much um, about landscaping. And um, and uh, his I want to say that his uh, father and Bill Evans, who originally had created Disneyland, they were um, very good friends, and as a result of that, uh, Paul had kind of grown up into the business. Anyway, he spoke to the Tribune group, and uh, we had guest speakers of both Judson and Paul, both incredible contrasts, um, but it was an amazing experience. Another amazing experience we had is, um, well, one of the places we used for our programs was the Wonders of Life. And that was a very cool tour that we did that allowed us to go behind the scenes, behind some plexiglass, and actually see the simulators um, from Body Wars actually in action. And if you were to see these simulators in action, which are the same ones as Star, um, Star Tours, you would never get on this ride because these things just move. And I think Body Wars even moved more than Star Tours. Um, initially, there were a lot of people who were kind of sick. And there was somebody who suggested that it's, uh, what was it? It was, it, you had to keep the action moving in the movie because if you sat there and you were watching the blood pump, it actually made people sicker. I think that's what I heard. Don't quote me on that one. But the MetLife, building and with cranium command and the making of me and and all of its offerings were a great exercise in how to move guests how to create a total guest um guest service experience and uh, it was fantastic made even more impressive by the fact that upstairs something nobody ever got to see was the metlife lounge for MetLife employees to come and visit. And this, of all the lounges, well, I have to say the Seas was spectacular in its layout, but MetLife was so beautiful. It was like this this circus county fair kind of look, and it had all of these bright, um, cheerful colors in it. And it was just a really lovely facility. There was enough space to either kind of create a a dining experience or a classroom style experience and one of one of our clients was MetLife they came and um, well actually first I went to I want to say 
Um, I want to say New York and New Hampshire to actually observe MetLife um, call center employees in action. And then the um, top uh, leadership of MetLife, the, the C-suite of MetLife came and I hosted uh, a program on really improving the customer experience, improving uh, the leadership experience and so forth. And that was that was a big honor. And one of the things I learned during this period, because I had an opportunity to really be present with a lot of CEOs and heads of organizations and so forth, I learned very quickly that if you were intimidated by that, you would not be effective in delivering your message. And so being professional, but being very calm and relaxed and being very... Um, not upfront, but direct in a very professional way to say, this is what's working, this is not what's working. That was one of the things that really blessed my career because over the years, I've had to deliver difficult messages to people who were in, in place in, in, at the head of an organization. Messages that nobody else often would deliver to those um to those executives. And so MetLife was one of those opportunities. Another opportunity came with General Electric. You notice how a lot of these are related to sponsorships at Disney. General Electric, um, if you remember, um, um, if you go back in time um, to... Um, the organization under Jack Welch. Jack Welch at this time was beginning to think about his secession and who would take uh, take over for him. And so what he did is he identified like, I want to say about 70 of his top employees, the uh, top managers, top executives, really. And he created an experience for them that lasted, I want to say, about 45 days, about a month and a half to two months in length. And the responsibility of these, these executives was to go and visit every single part of General Electric's operation, all of its factories, all of its warehouses, all, all of everything that is under the General Electric umbrella. And they were to spend time in the trench with all of these different organizations. And then they were to present back to Jack Welch a presentation about where General Electric should go moving forward. The first stop for General Electric, for this team of executives with uh, General Electric, was Disney because Disney was the um, sponsor and um, or of of uh, Illuminations and had been previously the sponsor of Horizon. I think that had already come to an end, but they were still sponsoring Illuminations, and so we took them. Uh, I recall we took them through the Magic Kingdom. We did the tunnels did a number of things, but they also had an opportunity to go above American Adventure, where the Club 33 is now at American Adventure, um, which was at that time, well, previously, American Express's, <clears throat> who was the other sponsor of the American Adventure? Was it Coca-Cola? At any rate, they had a, a, 
pavilion up there on the top. The pavilion, the the guest, the executive corporate pavilion um, for Horizons was this very bizarre lounge done in bright orange carpet and had been since taken over by uh, the food and beverage folks. And um, so the place we took him was the, to the top of American Adventure. And there George Caligridis, who at that time was head of Epcot and who had brought in the Millennium um, Celebration at Epcot, he spoke to the group and shared with him his ideas around um, leadership and and customer service and employee engagement and all of that. Did a great job. Uh, he was truly, um, well, and ultimately he ended his career at Disney Institute. He, When he was finally kind of retired from heading up all of uh, Disney um, resorts and theme parks around the world, he took time to finish out his career by being at Disney Institute, but his start on that was actually General Electric. And what's amazing is our, our partner with that, who headed up the General Electric um, relationship, he told me later on that they went through, the, after they left Disney, they went to visit everything around the world that was under General Electric. And when they got back, they did this presentation to Jack Welch. And the one thing they brought to the conversation more than any other thing was what lessons they had taken and learned and gleaned from having visited Walt Disney World. I want to just say there is something very powerful in Walt Disney's business model, in his perspective and paradigm around quality, around excellence, around creativity and innovation it was truly refreshing and so much, um, so many lessons and so many great things to learn. In another experience, we had Volkswagen. When Volkswagen re-premiered their, or premiered their new Beetle, and uh, this is again around 2000, that time period, they wanted to create an experience for all their North American dealerships to come and experience Volkswagen and to hear from leadership and so forth. And so we hosted, I want to say, seven or 8,000 of these dealers from these dealerships at Walt Disney World. They stayed, we did them in two groups because there were so many. And they stayed for about, I want to say, three days, two nights, or four days, three nights. And there were several things going on. One of them was we took over the back portion of the Epcot parking lot where the marathon is. And they practiced actually driving new Beetles because they, they wanted them to have a chance to see what the Beetle was going to be like. So that took place. Um, I had responsibilities with our team to create, um, this was one of our first major scavenger hunts that we did. And we set them out on buses and monorails to, uh, I don't think Animal Kingdom, it was just too far, but to the studios and to Epcot Magic Kingdom to go see some of these best in business practices and then share those ideas and come back and talk about them as a group in, um, 
at the Contemporary Resort. We were in the Fantasia Ballroom. Um, so we had a big event there. And then at night, they had their own private parties, including taking over the Magic Kingdom, which is not inexpensive, having the Electrical Parade, which is come do a show, a, a parade for them, which is not inexpensive, and third, creating their own beetle as a float in the parade, very, very expensive. In essence, they spent about 28, I want to say about $28 million on their total experience. They spent a lot of money. It was a wow experience, but they spent a lot of money to get their dealers on board to this new Beetle coming out. The only person who was not excited about this price tag was the head of Volkswagen back in Germany. And he had come out for this event and he was, I think he was in sticker shock by how much North America was spending on this set of events. And it was, um, it was an awkward kind of experience in that the head of North American um, sales for the Volkswagen came to me and said, look, you know how you do that tour on Main Street above and below in the tunnel and everything? I need you to take our CEO and walk him through that experience because he doesn't understand why we're here at Disney and why we are paying this kind of money. Wow. So I take this guy who is as German as the day is long, very broken English. Um, you might as well put a Lederhosen on him. He just was almost stereotypical German. And But I took him and, and the head of North American Sales and we did this walkthrough of the Magic Kingdom. We looked at windows on Main Street. We looked at the flow of traffic. We looked at all of the things that create the whole guest experience at Disney in the parks. And then we took him downstairs to the Utilidor, to the tunnel, and showed him how we support what goes on upstairs through the guest experience and and painted a whole um just had this whole experience laid out for him and the last i remember he was so impressed by what he had seen at disney and by the experience i think i almost saw him like skipping off to <laughs> to to peter pan's flight he was just he was absolutely delighted changed changed the whole thing so it was it was very very cool. Um, one of my last clients that I'll talk about was life changing for me. Um, Pick and Pay is a grocery store chain which has small marts and massive marts that make Walmart look small. They are a major retailer in South Africa. And they had um, somehow, um, I don't know how we got connected at Disney. At one point, though, well, I'll come back to that. At any rate, what happened is they would create a system by which their top 
um, top one, I want to say top thousand employees were um, named and acknowledged. And then they had this major event for these employees. And they would um, then identify 100 out of those employees who would have the privilege of going down, coming up to Walt Disney World and spending a week with us in our programs. And these people, mind you, most have not had any secondary education. Some haven't gotten through even high school. Um, they're very limited in their life experience. I mean, to the effect that most, had, not most, almost all, had never been on an airplane. You gave them a hotel room number like two one, you know, uh, room two thirteen, and they would go to the elevator and press two one three because that's how they thought elevators were. They had not the experience of being on an elevator. It was just that this. So if you can imagine that on day one, we are bringing them into the Magic Kingdom at three o'clock in the afternoon. As the parade comes down the street, and to see their faces and how absolutely blown away they are by being in the middle of all of this magic. It was so powerful. And every day with them was like this. And we just it was a celebration in fact at the end they would form a choir and they would get on the stage and they would sing back to us as facilitators and um i i, I it's just so so much of an honor to work with them and be with them um their ceo one day had just toured the Disney University, he stopped in the middle of the training. He pulled out his phone and he called back to Johannesburg. They were building a premier new store in Joburg. And um, as part of that experience, he, he told them, stop construction. I don't want any more construction on that store till I get back. When he got back home, he redesigned the store experience so that the front of it was this amazing store and the back of it had a pick and pay institute. And they created their own Disney University style building for pick and pay. And when they got to opening this, they invited myself and another to come down to South Africa to be part of their, oh my goodness, this was life-changing. They, they, not only did they take care of us and wowed us, they were a wow. To see they had created their own traditions program, their own um, orientation, and they were beating drums in there, be the brand, don't beat the brand, be the brand, don't beat the brand, you know, and they had this whole thing that was just, that just came alive. It was so amazing. And this facility where you could go learn things and then go into the store and practice things. One of the, <laughs> they took me into the restroom. He said, look at this. 
and it was faucets that you know you stick your hand underneath and they automatically work no one had ever installed a faucet like that in all of africa they were the first they were so excited by it and powerful in all this experiences we ended up down in cape town and i took a boat to robin island where nelson mandela had been imprisoned talk about your life-changing experience it was um it was humbling it taught me about leadership it taught me so many lessons that were so powerful and so amazing. Um, I just had this phenomenal experience with clients like this. And the privilege of working with them and being with them and also working with my colleagues. And if I could bring two colleagues to bear, the first is um, Mark David Jones, who would eventually, in the next chapter, become a business partner of mine, but also the individual who came up with that idea, Judy Daly, who started her career in trams, rose up through guest relations, took over guest relations for Epcot. I, I believe she was the first guest relations hostess for Epcot when it opened, and was the host for any dignitary any official, any celebrity, any rock and roll, actor, performer, star, king, queen, prince, anyone, they were all hosted by Judy. And she had an experience. She taught me what what the customer service experience was like. She knew it better than anyone. And she, we became so close, still are very close today. She's long retired, but um, and tends to a lot of goats, but she knew customer service. She knew how to look at every aspect of that experience. And uh, it was the best graduate degree without the paper. It was, she knew how, and she, she and I worked together to create the customer service programming. And we took that to a whole nother level. Added to that was that in the process of originally designing these programs, I eventually became a facilitator, partly because the facilitator who was over the customer service program and um, who did not like that barcode thing we talked about in the previous bar, you know, barcode this. And so he stopped showing up for programs. And at the last minute, I ended up taking over the programs. And in time, I became just really good at facilitating, uh, which is something I had learned long before, years, decades before, um, in, a, in a prior work experience. I had learned the skills of being a great facilitator. And now I got to apply them at Disney, where I knew Disney. Everything was just perfect. Everything came together in such an amazing way. Working for the Walt Disney Company was the best thing that ever happened in my career. Leaving the Walt Disney Company would be the second best thing to ever happen in my career. And that's where we go to next but in another episode. So, thank you 
for listening, for being a part of this podcast. Thank you for um, just being a part. And if you have a chance, check out the Wayfinder Society, which offers really um, wonderful tools to help you not only celebrate all things Disney, but teaches you some of these best in business practices that we talk about. You can experience those for yourself as you go to our Patreon group, um, the Wayfinder Society. In the end, um, well, there's so much more to come and I look forward to it. In the meantime, we'll have a couple, another podcast, take care of other things. If you haven't caught the pre, the one just before this on 100 years, it was about a lot of things happening right now that are going on in terms of union votes, in terms of cast members, in terms of competition with Universal. So many things happening. Make sure you check that one out. But in the interim, make sure you come back as we... Um, bring you another Disney at Work and Play podcast. And in the words of Sinbad's storybook voyage at Tokyo Disney, always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon.